The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome all of my listeners in the United States and around the world. We are live today back uh, in New York City after a two-week hiatus. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Good morning. So we've been off for two weeks, and we had a little bit of a rest period, a two-week hiatus, as I call it. Season two is coming to a close at the end of June, and then we're going to be back for season three and um, a whole bunch of new shows, hopefully, and we'll see what happens. But anyway, I wanted to ask a couple of questions before I uh, read the news. How was open house for you guys this weekend, if you had open house? Because I've noticed an uptick in attendance lately, and that's not a bad thing. Mine was back and forth. I actually had three open houses on Sunday, and okay. two of them were busy, and one was completely dead, which I find to be very interesting because the two that were very busy were in neighborhoods that I didn't think would be as busy, and the one that was dead was in Chelsea. Really? That's very interesting. Very interesting. Um, we had a couple in Hell's Kitchen, and actually, the holiday weekend, I guess, was the weekend before. That was very busy, uh, and I was surprised. At one, I had almost 10 people uh, after a couple of weeks of having nobody. On Memorial Day weekend? On Memorial Day weekend. Wow. It was kind of interesting um, because it was very, very busy. But anyway, um, I've noticed the uptick, and I don't know what's causing it, but I'm happy to see that. Um, and let's hope that it continues. In any event, let's get to some news. One World Observatory celebrated its first birthday on May 29th, but instead of closing out its first year with a bang, the New York Times has found that the whole year was more of a whimper. The observatory, which sits on the 100 and 101st floor of the 1,776-foot-tall One World Trade Center, attracted only about two-thirds of the visitors it expected to woo in its first year of operation. Lots of reasons um, are being talked about, but the time suggests the legends, the company that manages the observatory, might be uh, to blame for the small crowds because of the failure to court tour operators who buy tickets in large quantities. Late author Oliver Sacks' West Village Co-op at 2 Horatio Street has recently listed for $3.25 million. This is a two-bed, two-bath apartment. An eccentric designer, Betsy Johnson, listed her toned-down Upper East Side pad. She is looking to leave behind her one-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment and is asking $2.25 million. But don't fret. This one isn't nearly as gaudily designed as her former Fifth Avenue penthouse, which was a piece of work. Jennifer Lawrence, lots of celebrity news today. Jennifer Lawrence toured the paparazzi-proof 443 Greenwich Street recently. The apartment she looked at is a 4241-square-foot model apartment with four bedrooms and four and a half bathrooms, and the building itself boasts private amenities that include underground parking, a second lobby for residents wanting to take private elevators, and a central courtyard for building residents only perfect 
for the, the celebrated. Anne Hathaway's former Fifth Avenue uh, apartment is on the market again for $33 million, located at the Olympic Tower on Fifth Avenue, overlooking St. Patrick's Cathedral. The five-bedroom duplex is once home to the star when she was on Broadway in Les Mis. Parker Posey listed her 35th Avenue co-op. She purchased a one-bed co-op in the Grand Fifth Avenue building in 2008 and has since decided to sell the place for $1.45 million. But unlike many other celebrities who got out of their way to keep that, go out of their way to keep their real estate transactions under the radar, Posey appears in her own listings photos. Very interesting. Open kitchen floor plans have dominated home design for years, especially in new construction, and kitchen size has expanded as a result. Reviewing average kitchen size in a dozen new developments and apartment building conversions before 2000, real estate firms found that the average kitchen accounted for about 6% of the total square footage of the apartment. But in comparable developments after 2010, the agency found that as kitchens have been opened up to adjoining dining uh, or living rooms, the average kitchen now takes up about 8% of the entire apartment. Kitchen size aside, the pendulum has started to swing back towards enclosed kitchens. I've seen this now in a lot of new developments. Several new residential buildings in Manhattan have offered separated kitchens, a nod to pre-war apartment design, EAA, but also to the growing demand from potential buyers looking for separate cooking and entertaining spaces. Price growth in New York's luxury homes uh, in the market is continuing to flatline. This according to StreetEasy's April report. The monthly reports have shown stagnation or decline in the median resale price of New York homes since October of 2015, even as number of homes priced in the segment remained uh, the same year over year. Although the investment capabilities of New York real estate have contributed to it being viewed as something of a bubble, the city has been swept into a larger luxury real estate slowdown. There will always be an ebb and flow to demand for Manhattan luxury real estate, however great the investment may be. Less than six months into a gig as an advisor to Compass, new development guru uh, Louise Sunshine is out, citing a clash of cultures with the venture capital-backed brokerage. I felt my business practices and those of Compass were not aligned. Sunshine told the real deal. Compass, well, they have their own way. Three decades ago, Sunshine founded her successful firm, uh, the Sunshine Group, which the Corcoran Group acquired in 2005. She's considered a pioneer in the field of new development marketing in New York and joined Compass earlier this year to advise the brokerage on how to grow its new development marketing uh, arm nationally. No news on Sunshine's future plans. Did you hear what uh, I just I, an article about it. What, what? She's starting a Trump for women. Trump for women? Yeah. Really? Well, in, you know, she worked uh, for Florida. Donald Trump for many, many years. Yeah, yeah, in Florida, right? Yeah, yeah I saw it. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, there we go. We'll keep up with that news. <laughs> a group of 71 sponsor units at the celebrated Apthorpe at 390 Weston Avenue are being sold to uh, developer and entrepreneur Joseph Sitt, $420 million. The luxurious 1908 era-filled block building surrounds a central courtyard. It sits between 78 and 79th Streets and also borders on Broadway. The former rental building was purchased for $426 million in early 2007, just as the market tanked, leaving uh, its converters pouring money into an old mechanicals in a stalled market. At one point, New York uh, Attorney General Eric Schneiderman halted sales over shady filings. It was a complete disaster a, a few years back. Later, lenders took over and stabilized the property and sales picked up. So, that's the Apthorpe story. I just remember when um, I actually knew one of the people who bought that building, a developer, and it became such a disaster because of the time that they, 
they bought the building just just before the 2008 crash. Mm -hmm. And boy, let me tell you, unbelievable. Anyway, I wanted to talk about some, uh, before the rest of the panel gets here this morning, I wanted to talk about uh, some vacation spots. You know, if you live in New York City, if you circle in New York City, as we all do, you know, this is the time of the year that we all think about, well, what is my summer going to entail? Where am I going? What am I doing? Some people just opt to stay in Manhattan, which surprisingly this year, I am not going out of the city for the summer. I'm going to be right here. And enjoy the quiet weekends and not renting a house, not spending the you know time in the country or at the beach or whatever, um, doing it differently this year. So it begs the question, you know, where are people going, you know, this year, or where do people typically go this year? Is it the Poconos? Is it the Berkshires? The Adirondacks? The Jersey Shore? The Hamptons? Rhode yeah. Island? I mean, what, uh, what's popular in 2000, uh, 2016? That's hard for me to say. I don't know if there's any trends that are developing this year, but uh, you, you might be able to answer that. Well, I actually think you have a good perspective because you have someone who has a kid and yeah. someone who doesn't have a kid. Well, that's right. So, that's, that's I mean, right. I so still, let's compare. Yeah, so, I mean, I still, so we're not doing anything either because we have a young toddler mm-hmm. and uh, we're just kind of sitting around, you know, uh, which is, which is, believe me, a ton of fun, but very different than it used to be. Um, Fire Island and the Hamptons, to me, still are the, are the big draws. Yeah, oh, I think always, and I think Agreed. they always will be. Yeah. But it's also not for everybody, though. Not for I think, everybody. Yeah, I actually think a lot of people are going away from that hmm. lately. What's the new trend, Matt? I, I keep on finding that people are really sick of the traffic, and mm. they really don't like going, quote, Absolutely. quote, out east. And um, it's just too crowded. It's not a real getaway, you know. Um, so I find that people are going up to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, coming up to my hood in the Catskills. What is it? Oh, the Catskills. Um, which I love since I have a place up there. Last weekend, I went with a few of my friends to Deal, New Jersey, which is right next to Asbury Absolutely. at the shore. And Absolutely. it was actually really nice and mm. not super, super crowded. Um, as parole gets here, perfect timing. <laughs> parole is coming <laughs> here. She is. And so is Lyle. Right You're here for vacations. Uh, <laughs> well, we're talking about great vacation spots. Oh, my gosh. Oh great my vacation God. spots. Yeah. And I she's looking it. tan. It's perfect. <laughs> And gorgeous as always. Um, I think because I really need a tan, right, guys? <laughs> I know. Yes. So we're talking about, you know, where we have like one minute before we go to break, but we're all trying to decide, you know, or some people are trying to decide this year where they want to go for the summer. Is it Connecticut? Is it the Berkshires? Is it, you know, the, the Hamptons? Is it Fire Island? I mean, I'm staying in the city this year, but, you know. Um, what's popular? I mean, where are most people? I, I still, I, I agree with Phil Montauk. before. I still Montauk. hear, yeah, the, the Hamptons and Montauk. I mean, more than anything else. Actually, I don't know if anyone heard in the news that Ryan Surhand has a new development yes, in Montauk. Yes, so if that doesn't tell hear. you that Montauk's I popular, saw that. there you go. I I he, had a, he had an opening party um, yeah. all, on uh, Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so we're going to go to break. When we come back, we will talk to the panel. So uh, you're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. 
Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Peru Brombat from CORE. I'm sorry, from Compass. Matthew Cohen from CORE. Uh, Phil, <laughs> it's a Horrigan. tough morning. Phil Horrigan from <laughs> Leasebreak.com and Niall Lundgren from Compass. Woo! Okay, we got that right. It's um, the boys and me. It's the boys and you, isn't and it? And we something? just got some mood lighting. It's a little dark in we got mood lighting. Very interesting in the studio here today. <laughs> <laughs> First day back in two weeks, I feel like, um, what do they say? You, you, never, you never forget how to ride a bike or forget how to walk, whatever. I can't talk today. So you're saying that you're forgetting? I'm forgetting, yes. <laughs> it's just a little bit. It's just a little you bit. will never forget how to ride in a cab. <laughs> so where have you That's been, true. Vince? Hey, by the way, you know, my cab experiences have been really, you know, knock on, on wood or wherever it is, really good. Better. Lately, so good. Better. I had a really bad Uber experience, which I'm not going <gasps> to get into. Um, which kind of heard this week. Yeah, which kind of turned everything around in my head, whatever. Anyway. I think Vince needs to start taking videos of, <laughs> of these moments in cabs and start posting them into a storyline. <laughs> and, you know, the, the simple fact is the phone is always in my hand because this is why we always get in trouble in these cabs because I'm always doing something on the phone and, you know, I could just hit the video button and at least record <laughs> some of the, the nonsense. Anyway. Let's get right to our first topic. For a whole host of reasons, job relocation, awful roommates, a relationship that hits a wall, renters prematurely break up with an apartment. And Mr. Uh, Leasebreak.com here is going to help us out today. After all, most people's lives don't line up tidily with the schedule for a 12-month lease, while ending a lease early is a pretty standard transaction in the world of real estate. Unless you're relocating for work or have an employer willing to pay for the balance of your rent, lucky you, you've got some financial responsibilities to face before you leave. So, you know, guys, how do we get out of leases, you know, when there is still a financial obligation, when there is still a term obligation, and your 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 landlord, um, or your employer rather, isn't going to buy you out of the lease because your job transferred, it's really kind of on your own. This goes on all the time. We have clients who get stuck in this. How do we, how do we, how do we do it? I mean, what's the deal? So... As an agent, this situation came up so many times uh, where clients that I worked with wanted to get out of their lease that I founded a company called leasebreak.com. Mm-hmm. And the whole pur- purpose of the company is essentially um, to allow people to market their quote-unquote lease breaks. So how does someone get out of a lease? The first thing I suggest is to read your lease because sometimes there are some clauses in there that allow you to get out, that don't allow you to get out, that give you the rules about subletting, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But the second thing, and the, probably the most important thing, is to speak to your landlord. This is the thing that people just, I don't understand why they don't do this. Right. Because well, it's fear, I think, sometimes. It you know, is. The fear of the unknown. They don't know really where it's going to go. That's right. And also, but also <laughs> people sometimes think, like they might read something online that says, oh, I'm allowed to sublet it. You know? Or they see all these ads from Airbnb, and they just assume I could do that. You're going to get in a world of hurt, a world of trouble, mm-hmm. legal trouble perhaps, 
if you go that route. So if you speak to a landlord, often, not always, but often the landlord will say something like, look, as long as you find a qualified replacement tenant, will allow you to get out of your lease. I think that a lot of people don't ask, though, because they feel like once they bring it up, it's on the landlord's radar. Mm-hmm. And if the landlord says, no, absolutely not, then exactly. they're screwed. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's actually really just the fear that the landlord is not going to cooperate that makes people do things otherwise. Right. You know? And then, of course, as Pruel was saying, the problem with that, though, is, and we all know clients that have probably tried to do this, is once you go down that path, then you could be in a lot of trouble. Now mm-hmm. they could evict you because you're having an unqualified person in there and you have no chance in a lot of cases of getting out of your lease. So the best thing is ask a landlord. And don't. The, one of the uh, more interesting things is that often it's a win-win situation. The landlord often, not always, but often will want you to get out of your lease. Why? Because let's just say your lease normally ends in December, a time which is terrible for renting an apartment. Landlords do not like to have an apartment come up in December. By you breaking your lease in the summer, they can now maybe get a new 12-month tenant and they can get back on track with the lease cycle that ends in the summertime, which is what they prefer. The other thing is that often, and again, not always, but often rent prices overall rise Mm -hmm. as opposed to fall. Mm -hmm. So if you're breaking your lease, sometimes the landlord could get more rent sooner than they would have been able to get had they allowed your lease to first run out and then raise the price after you know six or seven months. They can get that higher price immediately. Yeah. So there are reasons why they can do it. So you know, the best thing is speak to your landlord. They'll often put the burden back on you, and that's why we have websites like leasebreak.com where you, we could help market your apartment. Actually, it, it happened to me twice where I was getting out of a lease prematurely or early, and I did exactly that. I talked to my landlord both times, and, and they said, okay, so if you can find or help find you know, a qualified tenant to kind of step in as you're stepping out, then everything is fine and cool and you can go. And that's exactly how it went down, and it was perfectly smooth and everybody was happy. But, and, but I agree that sometimes there is fear uh, with discussing with the landlord because you just don't know where it's going to go. And if he says no, now what? Because right. after all, you know, lease is a contract and you've got to stay in that apartment until your term right. is up. There is some New York City or state law that does say something like the landlord has to, within reason, kind of work with you to try to find someone. But the problem with that is that if you just go to that law and you don't speak to the landlord, the landlord has a lot of wiggle room in terms mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. And they can make your life miserable. Absolutely. So if you speak to them first, they, they tend to want to work with you. <coughs> All right. We talked at the top of the show about summer vacation spots out of the city for those people who go out of the city. But for those of us who are staying in the city you know, this year, it's the unofficial start of uh, summer last weekend, Memorial Day, comes the unofficial start of outdoor grilling season. If firing up some burgers and hot dogs is something you'd like to do right here in the city and you'd like to do it sooner rather than later, we suggest you brush up on the rules and, of course, check with your co-op or condo or whatever type of building you live in and its management to see whether they allow it. Let's talk a little bit about grilling rules in the city because for the most part, we all understand that you cannot grill on a patio, on a terrace, on a rooftop. Why is that? Well, actually, it's it about depends. how far. Yeah, yeah, it depends. It depends on the. Go ahead. I'll no, let Matthew no, take parole it. has it right away. It's <laughs> no. the distance. No, it's the distance. It's You're the right. distance. Completely. Yes, it's about space and distance um, on patios. And the other thing is, charcoal is a no-no. Gas mm-hmm. is okay on those patios. Yeah, it's got to be ten feet away from anything that can mm-hmm. easily catch fire. And I mean, that's that's pretty much the rule, I guess, in the suburbs too. With a house, actually, I was in the Hamptons one summer with a bunch of friends renting a house, and oh, no. all of a sudden, <laughs> from the pool, I can just feel like heat. And I turned around, and the grill caught on fire, and the whole side of the house 
Oof. Almost went up in flame. Oh. I mean, it was a major disaster. So, but you know, because this banana head didn't pull the grill away from the siding of the house, and right. something on the on the grill sparked, and it is what it is. Okay. But I was actually fortunate to have two listings recently that both had outdoor space, and they were both co-ops. So mm. both co-ops actually confirmed with us that it has to be ten feet from the wall of mm-hmm. the building. And also, I think there's no propane, right? You can't use propane. You cannot use propane. You cannot use uh, gas in most places. Uh, charcoal is allowed, but gas no, is no. gas is allowed if it's a, a distance from. Uh, it's a connection rather from, from the building to the the, the right. unit itself. Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. charcoal is not allowed. Really? Yes. Okay. I might be wrong though. I, I, it says here <laughs> charcoal, but but again, it depends on whether your rooftop, whether your patio, right. whether your balcony. You know, so many people want to put a, a charcoal grill on a balcony. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. no. You know, Vince, that. there's the there's the New York City rules. And then there's the building rules, and they, they could be different. Right. So sometimes you have the New York City rules, but a building would just say, no, you can't grill under any circumstances, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so you have to find out what the building rules are. But then there's, also, then there's also the city rules and the building rules, and there's also the rules that people tend to follow in the building. <laughs> or don't you know, follow. Or right. don't follow, yeah. you know? Um, and so, it, but I mean, obviously you should try to follow the rules, but every building has a different culture in terms of, you mm-hmm. know, you, as an agent, you look, at, you look uh, at all the terraces and you see, you see uh, charcoal grills on every single terrace, and you well, know, wonder, oh, okay, I guess I guess they're not that strict in this building. Well, in the building that I helped design over in Midtown West, that I still um, pretty much sell lots of stuff every year. You know, we had to file a, 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 a variance or some kind of special something or other to mm-hmm. get gas grills allowed on on the ground level patios really? and on the rooftop because the developer actually- left behind um, grills on. The rooftop for everybody to use, one you know, first come first serve. But we had to file a special something with the city to get that. It was approved, and the building still you know, seven years later has uh, that capability. But but charcoal there is absolutely not allowed. And but you know, sometimes I'm selling or seeing open house, and I see somebody out on because there are there are um, large kind of balconies in some of the units there in the courtyard, and I'll see and I'll see charcoal, and I'll see because you can tell the way it, it fires mm-hmm. up and stuff. And these little charcoal grills, and and you know people just don't pay attention, but it's a very serious situation because if something happens, you're going to be to blame for that. Well, not to mention, we're talking about all the the hazards and liabilities with the building, but you know if if you live in the apartment right above somebody who's grilling, and you have a balcony as well, and that's a complete and total disturbance and intrusion into your personal space. And let's just say you have your door open, then all of a sudden all the smoke is going in, and and, and that's not cool. Just walk around the corner to a restaurant. <laughs> I'm sorry. I actually or order I, in. Have you ever seen the seamless ads on the subway? Yes. They're really, really clever. And one of them was one of them said, um, "Can't grill at home. Order from the grill. Something, something like that." And that, that just made me think of it. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> so sure. random. That's how I cook, guys. Come on. I mean, I just press buttons on my phone and it shows up. <laughs> me too. I'm a seamless. Me too. Pro. I'm a seamless <laughs> pro as well. So I'm a, I'm a seamless chef. <laughs> you know, it's a straight chef. easy pro. I'm seamless. <laughs> That's you know, good. the convenience of this town, we've talked about it many times under many topics here, but the convenience, the conveniences that we have at our fingertips, literally with our with our phones and whatever else here in Manhattan, you don't have to do anything. But cooking with your fingers on your phone, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, the funniest, remember that one. the funniest moment for me recently with Seamless was I damn near had like a breakdown because it was asking me for my credit card information again. I'm like, what? What? This should be, why is this not coming up? It's on my phone. <laughs> I, funny. I shut it down. I turned it back on and it was all fine. <laughs> but I refused to even put in my own credit card information again. That was too much work for me. I know. I hear you. Anyway, moving on. Real estate companies are increasingly pouring big bucks 
into an old marketing gimmick. Magazines and newspapers. For brokerages, the allure of print offers a way to reposition themselves as lifestyle companies while developers can frame a neighborhood in the best uh, way, conduct- uh, the way most conductive to selling or renting apartments. But as ailing media companies across the country can attest, print can be expensive. So now real estate companies are rethinking their initial plans and are closing down their magazines. So what are the thought on this? I mean, a couple of uh, companies which shall remain nameless uh, came out in a big way end of last year, early this year with with named magazines, uh, again, to to big distribution. Then all of a sudden, they're really realizing that it's a lot of money, too costly, and they're shutting them down, not even pulling back. They're shutting them down. Let's let's talk about that because you know in my in in my opinion, you know, magazines are shelf life, and so you have listings and you have great apartments and great photos and magazines. It sits around people's coffee table for a long time, even if they pick it up a month or two or three later, and that property is gone. Your your face is still there, your name is still there, your contact info is still there, your listing is still there. Great way to network. Why are they shutting down? I, I think mean, the obviously world the is, cost, but yeah, I think the world is just heading in a different direction. I, I remember when those that came out, I was a little surprised mm-hmm. because I remember thinking, "Oh wow, this is going kind of against the grain." Which look, sometimes that works, but I do think that the, I mean, people are not—they tend not to consume information that way as much anymore. You know, Vince, you've got a good point. Um, I have to say, though, I mean, on 196 Orchard, you know, on new development, for instance, and, you know, veering from the magazine thing, you know, the conversations we're having in our new development meetings is exactly that. It's like, okay, well, you know, how much print do we even need? And the developer is very much like, who is going to look at that? Everybody tosses it into the trash can before they even make it to one block out of the showing. So is there really a point, you know? And really, we're minimizing print as much as possible as a result of that because like Phil said the world is tending in a different direction these magazines though the magazines, I see your point yeah the magazines but, but, I, but I agree with both of you because I think we are trending in a different direction and I think we're going going we have been in social media more than ever before but we've got to go to break but Perul I want to ask you a couple of questions with regard to social media and new development mm-hmm. when we come back because I think we are trending more towards Huge. online stuff versus print stuff and let's see what the developers thoughts are we are going to break we'll be back in a moment Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco 
at bluerealtygroup.com. That's V Rocco at BLU Realty Group.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. We're talking to Peru, we're talking to Phil, we're talking to Matt, and we're talking to Niall. And we, we just uh, got finished talking about a, a topic that's very interesting, and that is print media in real estate versus now online media. And a lot of magazines that some of these real estate companies uh, have been producing over the last six to eight months are closing down. Matt, you and want I to wanted, say Yeah, I wanted to say something really interesting about that to agree with Perul and what she was saying about 196 Orchard, which, late congratulations about that. It's a Thank really you. great project. Um, one of my clients who works at Ogilvy, um, actually, I remember this vividly earlier this year, said, everyone is on Street Easy. Even if they're mm-hmm. in high school, even if they're not looking at, you know, to buy a place or rent mm-hmm. a place, they're always on it. It's actually like, for lack of better terms, real estate porn. And I think that the developers and it brokerage mm-hmm. firms who are doing pop-up advertisements mm-hmm. along the Street Easy pages are really smart. Yep. And I think that they're working, actually, because if you ever click the ones that they're showing. I remember the Borum at 265 State Street in mm-hmm. Brooklyn had one of the best pop advertisement campaigns on Street Easy I had ever seen. And I think they're sold out. I mean, if you, so it, it definitely yeah. works. And I think that there's such a, you know, depending on what building it is strategically, you know, to reach an audience outside of New York, I think it's phenomenal. Agreed. Niall, sorry, I should say, uh, Niall mentioned uh, on the break return on investment, which I think the advantage of the online campaigns is you can measure it. You can measure, you can see what people are clicking, That's the uh, biggest what's component. going through. Whereas with, with print, it's really difficult to measure. And I think that combined with the fact that people are consuming information that way less and less makes it a d- tough investment. Plus the amount of money that goes into the organization and structuring and publishing of the entire magazine is is incredible. I mean, there's, you know, like, you know, <clears throat> Condé Nast obviously focuses on that, but, you know, to have real estate companies then going and trying to build out a department that, you know, the overhead, the staff, then the print, it's incredible. and then the distribution. Yeah. I mean, all you, you put all those things into it. It's like, and then, you, and then what are you doing? It's too much. How, then what, then what, what do you get back from it? it what's <laughs> the ROI? Is it, is it I, brand awareness? I, I think you're right. Because or is it I, clicks? Does that result in a click, which results in a phone call, which results in a set? I think or the is, thought behind that is probably more brand awareness than yeah. anything else because you can't measure, as you said before. But, you know, I don't think people really realize what it takes to start up a magazine. <laughs> and I've, I've had friends who've worked in magazines for years. It is big production, big yeah. behind the scenes. You get this beautiful, glossy magazine every month. However, the people behind the scenes to produce this and to get this going every month, the numbers of people are staggering. Yeah. So, and you know, when you when you try and do that in a real estate company, it it shouldn't be you know the main focus because it's going to eat up a lot of your resources. your your resources. And at the end of the day, some of these companies have. But they shouldn't be spending foolishly. But Perul, I wanted to ask you though, when it comes to social media, your new project at 196 Orchard Street, um, new development downtown. So when you're into conversations with the developer, as you mentioned before, and they're trying to debate, you know, the the should we do print? Should we do online? Should we do you know whatever? What are they thinking? You know, they're not traditional real estate people. You know, we are. But what are they thinking? The best way to get their message out. Well, is? obviously, look, developers have to be legitimately the ones who are really paying attention to cost. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they also want to know where they're spending their money and where they're getting a return on their investment, like Niall said. And so to Phil's point, uh, really, uh, they really want to see measurable returns. And that's tough to do on print, which I think is, you know, I, I think there's an argument on both sides. Mm-hmm. But largely, I think 
from a developer's perspective, they want to see if they're do- if they're spending dollars that they're getting return, and we can prove that a lot better <clears throat> with anything that's online versus anything that is print. Print also takes a lot of lead time, a lot more effort. And even though you have a marketing team that is not, you know, an in-house team, you always hire a marketing team. Uh, it's still, you know, it, it, there's still lag time and, and there's no real way of measuring. Uh, so really, I mean, in my experience, not just not just a developer of 196 Orchard, but a couple of other people I've had conversations with recently are really stepping away from print. Mm. Interesting. I'm seeing the same thing. Anyway, moving on. A buyer says he owns a co-op in a 78-unit building. The board has hired a part-time super, evening hours only, and uh, who started working just a couple of months ago. Is there any law that determines whether to have a full-time or part-time super according to the amount of apartments in the building? Because apparently, according to the people in this building, they're a little up in arms at the fact that they've decided to hire part-time and in evenings only, which I was kind of taken aback with. I mean, the super really generally is needed during the day. What's he going to do in the evening? So is there a law in, in this land of New York City where it says you have to have a full-time, you know, uh, uh, super? Actually, because I was really curious myself, because yeah. uh, as agents, I don't think we come across this much. I don't think there is. There is some rule about if you have, I think, nine or more units in a building, you have to have a super type mm-hmm. person, but they don't have to live there full time. They could uh, live on the block. I think they could live within uh, 300 feet of the building, like, something like that. Yeah. And so I don't know, Vince, do you know the answer? Because I really don't. <coughs> I, I don't what, think like, there is. Like actually, you, I tried fact, to research it and not, I couldn't find it. There yeah. is not a rule. It's or probably a law. more of a resale mm-hmm. thing. You know, if you have, in other words, like in most buildings that have <coughs> 80 units or 75 units would have a full time super because it's just going to help sell the units in the well, building. Well, I think what has this building or the people who live in this building up in arms is the fact that not not I don't think it's the part-time aspect of it. I think that they hired him for evening work, not daytime work. Now, well, if there's something wrong in your apartment and you're home in the evening and your super is going to come and fix it in the evening, it's a little inconvenient versus during the day when you're at work, right? It's I mean, issues well, like this why you have a condo and a co-op board. That's why they are put into place because people who live in the building mm-hmm. sit on a board who makes decisions. Mm-hmm. So you would hope that at the end of the day, they can, you know, at least come together and make a decision that works for everyone. Well, Somebody I, didn't get this decision. I don't right. understand. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, too, you have to think about, like, all right, why would they be doing this? You know, there, there's a couple of reasons. Well, one could be the financial health of the building. Maybe they just can't afford it, you know, and they could be in dire straits, and that's possible. You well, know, we've, yeah. we, we've seen that, and we've all tried doing deals in buildings like yeah. that. I was also at a, a showing uh, two days ago on Sunday um, with a co-op on the Upper East Side and um, there's no doorman or super on-site during the day but with technology now the FedEx people they all have this super's number so they, they just call it and then he can remotely buzz them in from you know wherever he is whether mm-hmm. he's in Florida it mm-hmm. doesn't really matter mm-hmm. so there's you know there's still that kind of you know they're, they're, they're thinking of ways to like I guess maneuver around it and I don't know if that plays into it or if technology you know, it's well it also if it's a no doorman building uh, maybe the owners simply prefer that the super isn't coming in and out of their apartment when they're not at home right. so that may be or at least that might have been the logic behind why have the super in the evening it might obviously backfired in this case. 
I just recently showed last week a 16-unit brand new, uh, it's a conversion, it was an old schoolhouse uh, in, in Midtown West, and it's being converted into 16 apartments, and there is going to be a uh, part-time doorman. They're not quite sure of the hours yet, and my, my buyers are a little you know, upset by that because before they commit themselves, they really want to know when, what hours they're going to be working. Mm-hmm. But what the on-site person told us is that there's also going to be, as Niall just mentioned, an, a virtual somebody always on a, you know, uh, on a TV screen that will buzz people in and out, see you, talk to you, accept deliveries. So, I mean, wherever this is, in, in Atlanta or in, in L.A., wherever this person is, there's going to be that virtual face behind uh, a camera somewhere, and you're going to be able to talk to this person as if they were in your lobby. Now, when the, when the doorman came on duty, I guess the virtual will go away for a few hours, and I think they were going to have uh, a 10-hour shift, which I thought was kind of uh, interesting. But let's see. You know, that was enough to kind of spook my, my buyers, to tell you the truth. They're not really, you know, they're kind of more old world and doorman friendly, and the, you know, it's what they have currently. So they're like, oh, I don't but know if not this is going to fly with me. I mean, to pay that amount of money and not know the hours, I, I totally they understand that. don't know in advance, and that's yeah. what's killing me. And these are very, very, very expensive apartments. Yeah, that's, that's, I guess with conversions and new development, you sometimes have that. Where you don't know all the answers, you know. You don't, but you know, that's something you can kind of figure out quickly. Yeah. I mean, pick, and pick in a my, shift. In pick my a opinion, shift. Shame, shame on the developer and the sales team. Yeah, I, I mean, you're, you know, you're selling pricey apartments, as Vince said. Yeah. You know, know what you're selling before $2, you put them on the $2,000 a foot it's in Midtown West. Okay, it's so we're talking ridiculous. craziness. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's insane. Anyway. I agree with your buyers. <laughs> Moving <laughs> Actually, I would love to go back to the social media conversation. Sure. If everybody, I'm just so curious about this. So, what seems to be really interesting for me is as much as you can measure, like, for instance, Instagram, like how many followers you have, right? There's such a distinction between followers and qualified followers. And I feel that that's sort of getting missed in the conversation Absolutely. lately. Because, um, for instance, we just had a listing in a building uh, where one of the big TV personalities has the, had the exact same apartment right below our listing, and um, we, and so there were four apartments in the same line on the market at the same time. And granted, some of it's luck, some of it's hard work, some of it's the experience you create as a broker, your relationships, et cetera. But we got our apartment sold before the other three. And there was no reason in my mind wasn't the highest in the line, you know, whatever. But the fact that we were able to move it and this person has a huge following, you know, really says to me, that there is something to be said for a social media following and how it can really add value. But then I also think that a lot of times it's just fluff as well, you know? Well, so it, it's, I, I've always said, you know, uh, and, and there are certain uh, agents in this town who use Instagram probably more than anybody else, and they're, they're known for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, and we've had this debate back and forth, I'm not a huge Instagram, you know, believer or, or lover or follower. I happen to think Facebook makes a little more sense. But I agree with what you just said, Perul, because at the end of the day, you know, there's something for everybody. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the followers are there, but that doesn't mean that they're paying attention. You know, I can give you an example. Or they're, they're going to convert in ultimately sales, you know? Yeah. Cor- correct. <laughs> correct. That being said, though, oh, so sorry. I was going to say, that being said, on you know, 196 Orchard, going back to new development, um, you know, this is a large part of our conversation, and we really do create quite a bit of buzz around a building mm-hmm. and word of mouth. And mm-hmm. in fact, my point is, is that it becomes a very intangible asset, too, because even if it doesn't add to direct leads sometimes it's just the buzz that you create through that and for instance like leonard probably has very quality 
you know, 35,000 or some followers, you Absolutely. know, and, uh, and that I think is, is a big plus for us. And that's a testament to him too, because no matter what comes out with his name on it, I take a minute to look at it, whether Absolutely. it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook, whether it's yeah. an email. Because I'm on his, his email messaging blast. is consistently valuable. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And so that's the, that's the difference though, because yes. I'll so, take a minute or two or five to pay attention to what he's sending right. out because and I'm the, learning something. But that's you know? because when I agree, absolutely. that's because it helps sell uh, Leonard and people who are on social media as yeah. opposed to selling the property. I actually don't think that social media, like the example you just gave, Pruel, where mm-hmm. some very famous person with a million followers had the listing above you, that doesn't, does not surprise me at all because right. where are the serious buyers? They're on Street Easy. I mean, if you, have you yeah. ever met a serious yeah. buyer that didn't eventually go to Street Easy? Well, I mean, that's you know, the thing. So, but it does, I do believe it does help with, you mentioned buzz and stuff. I don't think so much about the property. I think it's the agent themselves. It helps sell Absolutely. you. It helps to sell your brand. Just to play devil's advocate, though, I think that we are in a, in a transitional market where every little thing helps and, and it can't hurt. I mean, I, I'm a huge Instagrammer. I put all my new listings on it. And two recent ones, it's all about the buzz. Um, someone told someone else, one of the buyers actually came from their friend told them on that I posted on Instagram and that it looked really pretty. <laughs> and they they went, then they it? looked at it on treaties. You were in contract, yeah. so you, you, you would hope. But they, the, I, I think every little bit helps. I yeah. don't think it can hurt. Oh, I think we're at a point where we can't stop using any of this oh, social of media. And I don't think well, any of us are going to. But I, I do wonder sometimes of the value of, of right, certain platforms. Exactly. With the new development conversation, it's kind of like, you know, it is a valuable platform, undoubtedly. You know, but whether it's that or the magazine, you know, should we move so far away from print is the other question because there is a longevity to print. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think that it's sort of like to to your point, Matt, I think that it's very much about firing on all cylinders and doing it strategically and doing it well like Leonard Steinberg does. Look at where we've come from the New York Times print ads. I mean, you know, when I first started in this business, it's really only 15 years ago. It's a long time, but it's not all that long ago. And we were in the New York Times little, you know, box ads and we spend a lot of money you too $400-$500 for a little ad every week coming out of our ad budget and it and worked look, it, it worked all the time <laughs> and look where we've come since then it's so, also no different than Open House New York on TV uh, there, there you go I mean it's, it's also you know are people really taking the time to watch that you never know like I, I think it could happen so. I think they are anyway we have to go to break we're coming back this is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel don't go away I just got- The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are 
are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back for our last segment. I'm here with Peru Brombat from Compass, Phil Horgan, leasebreak.com, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and Niall Lundgren from Compass as well. Uh, Niall wanted to pick up on uh, a thought with regard to our social media. Yeah, and if you're listening to the last segment, I was trying to chime in a couple times, but everyone you know, kept, uh, kept going out. No, this is not a hot topic, not at all. <laughs> we, we can't silence him. Come on now. Um, so I, I appreciate it. But, you know, I think the, the first thing that I want to mention was the idea that Perul's talking about where, you know, she had the listing and then, you know, the one of the TV personalities had one right above and she was able to Hello. sell it. Or below, um, I think the the thing that people miss oftentimes is that if you're a personality or you're somebody who can claim that they have X followers, you can't just only rely on that. You know, I, I, I was with Perul a lot of the time when she was developing the strategy around how to cultivate um, buyers and sell it. In in you know, she went above and beyond on a number of different. Um, you know, initiatives and strategies to, to get people to the, the listing, whether it's brokers, open houses or mailers or, you know, I don't want to give away all the secret, but there's a lot <laughs> of different things that she did above and beyond what, what anybody else would do. Um, and she didn't only rely on Instagram. No, and, well, you know what? Say, it's, hey, I'm, it's about I'm, being innovative. It's yeah. about being innovative and figuring out how to get the right people through the door and you create marketing strategies around that. And I think that that is so much more valuable yet, you know, when somebody is going in to a pitch against somebody who has a huge Instagram following, they rely so heavily on like, I can blast this out and I have a hundred million people who are following me, whatever, that it really is, you know, it's so difficult to explain to a seller, you know, look, I will come up with what yes, is targeted that will make this apartment sell and I will go to town versus somebody who has 98 listings and they're saying that they can blast this. But when you're blasting 98 listings on your Instagram following, is it really catching anybody's eye at the all? No, listing, will that really catch? Well, it's, yeah. it's clutter. That That's when it becomes clutter and that's when it's not you know, productive. And I think you've all said it before, you've got to be smart about it and you've got to do it in the, in the way that it's going to make a difference. Yep. You know, you can have four or five or nine listings at a time and you send it all out in one blast. Who's really paying attention? You know, not, not really too many people are. That's true. And, and another thing is, is I recently was, uh, was pitching a, a developer for a rental building and it, actually one of the, the TV personalities, again, um, I, I was pitching against him. And uh, the first thing the developer says when he sits down is, well, I met with this guy and uh, of course. he says he's got like a million followers. So how, how are you going to beat that? And that was the like the first <laughs> objection that I had. Let's, to wait, wait, let, let's put it this way. Niall landed the building. Well, well, I'm sure he did, but, <laughs> but, I, close, but I wanted to say though, I mean that that's kind of extraordinary when somebody <laughs> says that to you. How do you how do you compete with somebody who has or that I spoke to that has a million followers? I mean, I I wouldn't even know what to say. <laughs> you know, what do you say to that? Not to put negative energy out there because I have great respect for all three Absolutely. of the guys that Absolutely. are on Million Dollar yeah, Listing. We all do, but. One of them couldn't respond to my email for three days and it was very urgent. And so when they're very busy on these million followers, 
they're actually not selling your product. Well, so that's kind of what I, my, you need my, to have personal attention on everything. Was. Yeah, they have, look at how many listings they have, look at how many followers they have, and that's all fantastic. But the second they sign you up, it's a smaller deal in Brooklyn, you're never going to see them again. And again, not, but, to, not to add on the blasting or anything, but, but the that's fact a big of the point. matter is, is, you know, I had a, a showing set up, and I mean, literally I have a chain of messages from my assistant to that person's person who's mm-hmm. supposed to be doing the showing that confirmed the time twice of when we're supposed to meet. I go to the building and nobody's there, you know? And that's just, I mean, this was a new development showing. You, that's, I've done that never knock on wood, you know? And uh, it's incredible what falls through the cracks when you're just grabbing all these listings without actually being able to serve your clients. It's kind of like the Jerry Maguire issue of like fewer clients more service yeah well you know it's just like back in the day you know before the social media stuff and you always had top flying agents who you know got lots of buildings and lots of listings and lots of whatevers and i remember going up against them sometimes and they'd say well i just spoke to so and so and he or she has you know 39 listings and blah blah and i'd say well okay 39 listings and just as you said a minute ago now so they're going to sign you up and you're never going to see them again you're going to have a flurry of showers showing your apartment and that's going to be the end of it yeah and exactly and And i would win most of the time experience you create exactly and the Clear TLC that you put into selling it. Exactly. This was interesting when I was reading it. Despite the delays, weekend shutdowns, and seemingly endless repair work on the New York City subway system, the ridership levels on the service are now approaching the peak they reached in 1940. This is amazing. New geography reports. In fact, New York City subway carries more than twice the riders than the next nine largest metro systems in the United States combined. How, I mean, you know, first of all, we all know that I'm a taxi person and I really can't deal with the, with the trains and the subways, but Wow ridership on these subway trains in this town have increased and have peaked since the 1940s. Now, well, in the 1940s, wh- I'm trying to think, wait. It, What's the population? I, I, I'm almost amazed that, that there was a peak in 1940. Am I missing some? Well, they peak, they, the peak reached in 1940. This according to New Geography okay. uh, magazine. So, and there's so many more people now. There are so many more people now. peak now. Well, I mean, w- World War II post or pre? Or, uh, That's uh, Women post. also entered the workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Years ago, you had more subway ridership than you do today. You know, yes, of course, there were more right. people in the city. Everybody but were, rode. Everybody rode in those. Everybody. So, and of course, it, it, it trails off a little bit. And now, you know, the city is, you know, jam-packed, overcrowded. And they're peak, we're peaking again. It's amazing to me how so many people um, are riding the trains these days. And especially this time of the year. When it's hot and it's sweaty and you go down to the platform and you're waiting for a train for a few minutes and then on the weekends, you know, I'm trying to get around on the weekends for real estate purposes and the express lines are out or the local lines are out or a combination of both are out and you're running for this. It's insane because they do most of their work on the weekends. You know, uh, just to just to talk to you guys about something that really has been bugging me as of late. I don't know if you guys have been taking the subway or if you have at all, but um, as of late, I've been seeing a lot of people living in the subways, mm-hmm. like an exponential amount. Yes, from over the well, the homeless for, the homeless for, population has increased also. Well, I because think it has a lot has to do with policies with yeah, on, policies, absolutely. and it's like you know at some point. It's like eight o'clock at night, and it's like whoa, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of scary even for me. You know, so I don't, I don't know, man. It's very I'm not scary. that happy about what's going on. It's <laughs> my well, two cents. Well, but, 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 but ask yourself a question, though, because I ask myself this question all the time. Why is this happening? Well, because the mayor has 
uh, Mayor Bloomberg's policy was if there's a homeless person in, in a subway or whatnot to ask them to move because that is not a place that they should be residing or sitting or whatever, um, or loitering, Sleeping. I guess is the word. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, but uh, Mayor de Blasio has changed that policy to saying it's a public space and if somebody wants to be there, they have every right to be. And unfortunately, I feel that you know, I mean, I have all the empathy in the world for poor people who don't have a place to live and have other problems and whatnot. However, it's a concern for safety, like Niall said. And um, and the city was su- such a different place before 1995. Mm-hmm. And it was after there was such a huge effort to make to clean up the city that the city has become the livable, amazing mm-hmm. place that has become since from then till now. And this just seems like a regression. It is a regression, and you know a lot of people. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of people say the next mayoral election can't come fast enough, and in the middle of all, yeah. you know, the presidential election this year, it's been a it's been a crazy wild ride with with politics here. Just taking it locally in New York City, but you know what? I think um, I, I agree with Perul. I mean, I, I, my heart goes out to people who don't have that kind of money or who have to sleep on the street, whatever their reasons are. But you know, we should do better in in supporting them. Uh, and getting them off the street for you know what always amazes me is you know for years and years and years we seem to have conquered that problem but lately it's gotten worse and it seems to be getting worse yeah. even as time goes on and I don't know where the breakdown is and I'm and I'm certainly not a politician but I I don't understand where the breakdown is I don't understand why it's happening and as I think we mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago you know um, I had an episode where you know there were some homeless lurking around a building that I was trying to show an apartment too. We were waiting for the listing agent to show up and it was kind of scary and my buyers were like, no, No I'm not living here. Now, this is not or was not in a bad neighborhood. Not in a bad neighborhood at all, but when you show up to a building and you see, you know, something undesirable happening in front of you and they're thinking, well, I'm going to spend, you know, a million, a million five, whatever the number was, and I'm going to have to deal with this every time I come in and out of the building. I don't think so. Guess who lost the sale over there? You know, that poor listing agent or the sellers of that apartment because, you know, what do, what do you do? You can't hide that stuff. It's all about the experience. That's right. You know, and yeah, as good as we yeah, are, yeah, we sure. can tap dance around people, but, you know, around issues and whatever. And they, this, is not a, this is not a common occurrence and this is not a bad neighborhood. But Quick. simple fact of the matter is, you know, they see what they see. Well, also, when someone first comes to a listing, they, it's a blank slate. So the littlest bit of information is yeah. going to dramatically affect their opinion, mm-hmm. understandably. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to form all kinds of opinions based on what they see in that small window of time. Yeah. So you have to make sure, to the best of your ability, yeah. that things are, um, you know, set, set the right way, you know. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's, always, it's, it's always very difficult. Anyway, um, we're coming to um, the end of the program. We have... I think three more shows before the season ends. Then we're going to take July off for some summer R&R. That's what I'm thinking so far. We'll see how that works out. And we'll be back for season three uh, on August, I think, 2nd. But in the interim, um, I want to say this has been a great uh, season. I think better than the first. I think we're all getting pretty good at this, and uh, I love doing it. Anyway, we will see you all next week. That is Good Morning New York for this week. Thanks for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or VinceRocco.com for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 